Christ is risen. Sosanisti. Um, so uh, I thought a little bit before we start, we'd talk a little bit just about the 50 days and some of the things that we, we see in the 50 days. Uh, the, the hymn we just heard, the deacons say, the heavenly hosts hymn, there's this one line, it says, he changed punishment to salvation. And so what is this that we're talking about? What is the punishment that he changed into salvation? And that's death. Death he changed from punishment to salvation. Um, he went into Hades, as we have in this beautiful icon here. And by the way, this is the traditional icon of the resurrection with Christ descending and grabbing Adam and Eve by their hands. Um, we see that he is pulling them out of death, out of Hades. And so ultimately, this is the Feast of Feasts, the resurrection. It's the big one. Uh, as we read uh, on the feast night uh, a week ago uh, in the Pauline epistle, St. Paul says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. So if there is no resurrection, nothing else. This was, this was it. This is what pulled everything together. And so for 50 days, we're going to celebrate this resurrection in lots of different ways. The first thing we're going to do is we're always going to greet each other and say Christ is risen. So this is not something we just do um, on Easter night, but every single time we meet anyone, every text, every email, everything, that's how we start. Um, and then er the procession we just had every single liturgy. Uh, did anyone notice what the Synexar was about today? We skipped it, exactly, right? So it's not that there's no Synexar. There is a Synexar for today. And there was, in fact, yesterday was the Feast of St. Mark, and although he started the, the Coptic Orthodox Church, unfortunately, he gets, you know, jolted every single year because his feast is always during the 50 days. And so we don't read the Synexar. And the reason we don't read the Synexar is because this is the history of the church about what happened this day, you know, in whatever year. And the church kind of wants to say, don't focus on it. Let's focus on the resurrection. Let's not talk about the past. Let's talk and say Christ is risen. And so that's we replace the Synexar with this and we sing in the festal tune there's no fasting Wednesdays or Fridays there's no fasting at all which is horrible there's no matanyas there's no prostrations we do no matanyas during the 50 days there's no um, we always say this hymn Christ is risen if there's a wedding we say Christ is risen if a bishop comes we say Christ is risen if there's a funeral we say Christ is risen so we're constantly going to replace a lot of hymns with this hymn Christ is risen so why why is it such a big deal that Christ has risen? And if you think about it, if Christ said, is who he said he is, if he really is the son of God, then we really shouldn't be that surprised, right? I mean, imagine Christ comes and he raises people from the dead. He walks on water. He turns water into wine. He does all the things that he did. And then he just, and then he dies and he doesn't come back from the dead. It's kind of, in, in fact, I think it's, it's the opposite for me, right? I kind of expect him to come back from the dead. It doesn't really jolt me that this happened. And so that's really not the big deal. The big deal isn't that Christ rose from the dead because he did a lot of things that are pretty amazing. This is just like the, the nth one, the next one. But what's more important isn't this that he rose from the dead but that he rises new with him.
because if he just rises from the dead, it does me no good. Right? And so I don't want just to look at him and say, you know, good for you, you did great. I want to say you, I want you to rise and I want you to take me with you. I want your resurrection to be my resurrection. And that's why this icon is so wonderful, right? Because he's not just rising from the dead himself. He's taking Adam and Eve with him, right? He's taking all of mankind with him. And that's the real resurrection. It's not just his event where we, we sometimes see a picture like this one of just him raising from the, rising from the dead, but rather it's our resurrection with him. So um, we even notice that Christ, right before the crucifixion, Thursday night, right before he goes through all of the pain and the suffering and the beating and the crucifixion and the death, what does he do? He takes his disciples and he says, I want you to have my flesh. Right? He, 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 he performs the Last Supper and he puts himself in them. He puts himself in them and them in him. And so it's almost like he wants to say, I don't want to go through this alone. I don't want the, the suffering and the beating and the crucifixion and the resurrection to just be mine. I want you to go through it with me. And that's why during Good Friday, we spent so much time here at church. And we went through it with him. Right? Even there's a, a tradition in some churches where you take a little bit of vinegar, right? And you drink it like, I want to do it with you. And that's great. And the crucifixion is the death of our ego and ourself. But then without, without just, without, if we just stop there, it's not as amazing. But what he really wanted to say is, now I want you to rise with me. I want my resurrection to be your resurrection. And so this is what we do. We eat life. You know, in Arabic, aish uh, is bread. And if you want to say life, it's aish. Same word. So bread and life are the same. And so God gave us him, life, in the form of bread. Something to eat. The simplest thing that we did when we were a day old. So I want to talk a little bit about Thomas Sunday. This is uh, one of the feast days of the church. Actually, it's a minor feast um, that we do in the middle of the, of the 50 days. It's Thomas Sunday, and that's the feast day today. And the, the focus I want, uh, you, you, we just heard the story. You know, Thomas wasn't there. Christ appeared to them. And then Thomas, you know, there's an expression in English, you're a doubting Tom, right? That's where it comes from. Thomas said, unless I put my hands in his side, and put, and put the hands in his nails on his hands, I'm not going to believe, right? And so then Christ comes back, and he says, hey, Thomas, here you go. And he puts his hand out and says, go ahead. Do whatever you need to do to, to fulfill your need for, for belief. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. So the church today wants to give us a lesson um, with two examples. There's two groups here. The first one is the disciples. The disciples are up in the upper room, and the door is shut, and it says in the gospel that Christ just kind of appeared to them, right? He kind of came through the walls. And the second group, the second person that we need an example is Thomas, who wasn't hiding, right? He wasn't with the disciples. He was kind of walking around, which is interesting. The disciples were all hiding because they're scared of the Jews, and Thomas wasn't scared. He was just aimlessly walking around. So the disciples, first of all, that's not normal to hide like that, right? I imagine them 
like in a tomb. They're all, doors are shut, everyone's scared. And that fear, and we talked about this a little bit during Holy Week, that fear isn't an, an, a natural thing. It isn't a normal, it, it's not healthy. And, and that fear is, is almost like a state of death. They're almost dead. They're hiding. They almost, you know, the, if you ask them, you know, would, do you want to die? They'd probably say, yeah. The guy we've been following for three and a half years, they just crucified him. And, you know, we don't want to live. And this spirit of fear means that Christ isn't in us. Christ says very clearly in Matthew, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And this is interesting because the, the disciples knew about the resurrection. Christ had foretold and told them that this was going to happen, but they didn't get it. They witnessed pieces of the resurrection. They heard about it from Mary Magdalene. John and Peter ran to the tomb. They went and looked. They didn't see his body. I mean, they, they were getting it, right? So intellectually, they knew something had happened. They knew he wasn't in the tomb, that he was gone. And they knew something weird was happening, obviously, you know, three and a half years of seeing amazing things. But they hadn't participated in the resurrection yet. It wasn't theirs, right? They were still scared. They were still in darkness. The proof that they hadn't participated in the resurrection was that they were still afraid. Because when someone participates in the resurrection, they're not afraid. And then Christ came, first words, peace be unto you. And that's what Jesus does. He comes and he brings that peace. And then everything changed in the dark room. They go to Thomas, you missed it. The Lord came, he, he, he resurrected. Uh, and they're just, they're over the moon. And fear, peace replaced fear. And we see this very clearly, right? If you look at the pre and post of the resurrection and the disciples, it's a very big difference, right? So look at before the resurrection, what did the disciples do? Well, one of them betrayed Jesus, Judas. Peter swore and cursed that he didn't know him. And nine of his disciples fled, right? So it's a pretty lousy track record, right? You have one guy betraying you, one guy swearing and cursing he doesn't know you, nine of them fleeing, and only one, John, goes to the cross. That's pretty dismal. And then after the resurrection, how did, what do we see the disciples doing? How did they die? Eleven of the twelve died as martyrs, except for St. John, who died in isolation in, in Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. So eleven of tho those people who had fled and cursed and, and denied, they, died, they all died as martyrs. What happened? Same group of people. Right. I mean, you look at this before and after shot. Something clearly happened in the middle. What happened? They touched the resurrection. And then they had no fear. And when people told them to stop speaking, they said, just kill us. If you want me to stop speaking, kill me. There's no fear. Nothing. And it's, it's a dramatic difference. So let's look at the second person. Those are the disciples. Let's look at Thomas. Thomas was dead in a different way. He wasn't scared because he was obviously out and about, but he had no faith. He had no hope. He's just kind of wandering around. And I'm sure someone stopped him and said, hey, aren't you one of them? He said, you know, I don't even believe in this guy. I don't know what I did for the last three and a half years of my life. I should have gone to college. So he also knew intellectually, right, that about the resurrection. He heard the accounts, but the resurrection also wasn't his. 
And even after 10 disciples told him what they saw, and these are guys he's been hanging out with for three and a half years. I mean, they've eaten together, they've lived together, they're, they're, they're really close. They've, they've served together. Those, those guys tell him, look, we saw him. He's like, I don't believe any of you. I think you're all nuts. He had no hope. There's just nothing left in him. But then Christ comes, and he gave him what he needed. He touched Christ. Touched. Not as he touched him before as a teacher or a prophet or a miracle worker or a guy who tells great sermons, but now he touched the resurrected Christ. It's different. Right? Because this is the same body that overcame death. Right? He touched the resurrection. And when you touch the resurrection, it resurrects you. You can't stay the same after you touch the resurrection. You can't stay the same when you come in contact with Christ. And so Thomas was now resurrected from death, from sin, from lack of belief, from all the things. So I want to speak about this touch. When we touch Christ, it's not, it's not by chance Thomas wasn't there when the Lord appeared to the disciples the first time. That was not a coincidence. One of the ancient Christian writers says, this was also a work of divine economy, that the absence of Thomas became a cause for full assurance and certainty. For if Thomas were present, he would not have doubted. And if he had not doubted, he would not have curiously sought. And if he had not sought, he would not have touched. And if he had not touched, he would not have proclaimed him Lord and God. And if he had not called Christ Lord and God, then we would not have been taught to call him so. So the Orthodox Fathers actually debate, discuss this, and most interpreters generally say that he never actually touched Christ. Christ put out his hand, put out his side, and he said, go ahead, do what you need to do. And many people say he never, he didn't even have to touch him at that point. Just the vision of the Lord made all the doubt vanish, made it all go away, every trace of doubt. And he didn't need to touch him, but immediately he said, my Lord and my God. And so many of us also try to find God this way. We try to examine Christ. We all have doubts. Doubts are normal. They're part of life. And we want to touch Thomas the way, we want to touch Christ the way Thomas touched him. And as soon as we begin our investigations, we find ourselves wrapped in wonder and belief. When we go and we look for God with good intention, we find him. And we, when we find him, we're blown away by him. We're blown away in awe of what we find. And that's why we declare, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And that's the outcome of seeking Christ. So what's the point of faith? this faith that Thomas had. To answer that, we have to look at man's purpose in life. What's the point of our existence? We have to reject that the purpose of our existence is to simply be alive. If this is the case, then we would be no different than animals who just live to be alive. And we see this, right? No matter how much man achieves in life, whether it be money or success or power or whatever, they want more. There's more. I need more. And we're searching for the more. 
No one's ever happy. No matter how much money, no matter how much whatever you have, power, wh whatever you've achieved, there's something missing. So it's clear that the destiny of man is to go beyond himself, right, and include something else in our life. Or rather, another self, greater than my own. And, who's, and for whose sake I was actually created. So God creates us in, our, in his image so that we can bear witness to God in ourselves. I'll say this again. This is the key. God made us in his image so that we can bear witness to God in ourselves. So once a man figures this out, senses this reality, believes this, and orients himself towards it, he immediately enters into harmony with God. I get it. I get what I'm supposed to do on earth. It's not to eat a lot. It's not to breed. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to, no. The whole point is I become the image of God and I reflect God to everyone else. St. Athanasius has this great quote. He says, it's like the moon. The moon has no light. It reflects the light of the sun in darkness. Right? So in the world, is, it's like God's trying to teach us. Right? When the world goes dark, the moon reflects the sun. We're the moons. Right? And that's our role. And once we figure this out, that my role is to be the image and likeness of God and reflect him to everyone, his love to everyone, and love my neighbor as myself, which was today's Pauline epistle, then we live in a harmony. Now there's joy. Now I get it. Now I know why I'm alive. And then we can say, my Lord and my God. So in Christ, two things happen. We figure out who God is, and we figure out who I am. I mean, without Christ, God would have been this infinitely isolated and distant reality from man's perspective. No idea what this God thing is. Until Christ comes and he says, I'm love. And also, if God, Christ had not come, I wouldn't figure out who man is. Am I dust? Am I an animal? Am I supposed to be, you know, just try to accumulate a bunch of stuff? And we see that we have no rights to any glory, any vain glory that we may have. So we see this ideal relationship in who Christ is. And that's why when we touch Christ, we say, my Lord and my God, because now we get it. I get God, and I get me, and I understand myself, I understand my role, I understand who I am and why I'm here. And all of it starts to make sense. It used to just be a rat race, right? accumulation, not sure even the goal, why am I alive, what am I here for, until I, I go with Thomas and I touch Christ. So a spiritual writer says, almost done, Christ does not bring us philosophical teachings or sayings or promises or advice from God. This is really important. He isn't a teacher. Christ doesn't tell us stuff. He brings us the nature of the fatherhood of God itself, revealed, personified, and active, visible, tangible, tangible, and comprehensive. So he, isn't, he teaches us who God is. He brings us God. Not like, look at me, I'm God, but I'm going to put God in you, and then look at you. See God in yourself. Right? Isn't that what he said? The kingdom of heaven is where? Inside you. 
right? So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say, hey, look at me, I'm God. Do what I do, say what I say. I'm going to put God in you, and then you'll see God in yourself, and people will see God in you. In love for the weak, not in words, but in self-giving unto death. In mercy for sinners, not in words, but in sacrifice unto the shedding of blood. In forgiveness, not in words, but in his putting on a garment of suffering for us and bearing hardship in our place unto the curse that was the cross. In a life of power that overcame the tomb and the unknown torments of hell to raise the dead to life, even though they be rotten and decayed. So he inserts life in us. So I'll end with this. What made Thomas believe then? So Christ appears to him. He says, go ahead, touch. And it doesn't say he ever touched. So what did he touch? What did he see? Sometimes you, you imagine his life with Christ and the love he saw in Christ. And sometimes when God comes down, and all of us, I hope, have had this experience, when God comes down and touches us, touches our life in a way that's insignificant to everyone else around you, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, God will do something for you, and if you go tell the story to someone, they'll go, okay, really? And they're like, yeah, and then the song came on right when I, and you're like, all right, good for you. You're like, you don't understand. You don't understand, and they're right. You don't understand. It was that personal. It was that specific. And I imagine when Thomas looked at Christ and he looked at Christ's eyes and the smile and he said, did you really come back for me? So you reappeared because I made some flippant comment about unless I put my hands in his side, unless I put the hands in, you know, he's probably, you know, distraught and distressed and lost his hope and he just wanted, made some crack. So Christ reappears and says, put your hands in my side. So what did he touch? He touched love. He touched overwhelming compassion. He's like, did you really come back just for me? And when he saw Christ's eyes and his smile and what he did, he said, my Lord and my God. That's Christ. And it hit me this morning as we were reading the, the, the Matins Gospel. The Matins Gospel is the exact same story. Right after, the resurrect, right after the crucifixion, Peter goes fishing. You know, Peter does not have to deal with his problems. He just goes, I'm going to go fishing. And you're like, really? You're going to go fishing? Like, you just spent three and a half years. The guy you followed just got crucified. We hear he resurrected, and you want to go fishing. You know, he had to clear his head. So he goes fishing. He comes back, and it says they didn't really recognize Christ. Christ was standing. They caught nothing, as usual. Not a very good fisherman. And... He's standing on the shore, and they didn't recognize him at first, right? And then once the, the, the net started filling with fish, they recognized him. Again, same story, right? How do, how do they recognize him? What did they touch? His love, his abundance, his graciousness, right? And when they see these touches of love, that's when we know that's our God. All right, I'll stop there. So may the Lord grant us these next 50 days to touch the resurrection, live the resurrection, eat the resurrection, become the resurrection. Not that we observe Christ as an observation, as a philosophical teacher, as a 
a guy who has really good morals, but rather he, he takes God and he puts God in us. And then we see God and people see God through our actions and glory be to God.